This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Folks, we're back here. Second start with Ben Moore. He hijacked my first. You hijacked my first start. We're back with KSRA Radio. That's what we're he coming did. Coming to you live with Jeff Landfield. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about yourself. I said one, two, three. He does. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a podcast last year with Grace mm-hmm. Jang, and she was. I've done a couple hundred of these now, and she hijacked the interview because she used to be a reporter. Yeah. And starts interview interviewing me, and I'm like, wait a minute, stop! I, this is my podcast. Stop. Interviewing well, here's me. The, here's the deal, dude. Um, you're way more interesting than I am. I don't, I, don't I don't know. know about I, don't, that. I don't know Grace very well at all. So yeah, of course people want to hear you. Grace is cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan. She was energy energy committee. I don't know if that's still going. Probably not because Murkowski's done being chair of the energy committee. I, I don't know Grace. Yeah, I wish I did because she seems great. She is. She's awesome. Yeah. So we're here with Ben Moore, uh, executive director of the Kenai River Sportsmen's Association. Sport fishing. Sport fishing. Yeah. Okay. Not yeah, sportsmen's. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. I got it. Because I was going to say you guys better get woke. Call it sports persons. Otherwise, you get woke or go broke. No, even even fishermen. Uh, for the, for those that that care to be careful about it, uh, use angler instead of fisherman. Okay. I will use the two interchangeably with no disrespect meant towards whatever you identify as. It's just yeah. you know, it's just how we talk, and <laughs> I don't want to get into the woke thing, but it's just these these language police who who think you know because you say a word that you've been saying your whole life. If you don't say what they want, then you know you're you're some kind of evil. I don't want to get into that, but you, you maybe maybe you took the wrong lessons from what was that? Brave New World, Brave New World, right? Brave, the book, yeah. I've not read that for a long time. Was it? Is it Brave New World? Was that Aldous Huxley? Huxley? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. With the I think the nineteen eighty four too, and yeah. all that stuff. Nineteen eighty four. The nineteen eighty. Both of them. Ministry of Plenty. No dude, supplies. Both of them are are uh, scary. But you took the wrong lessons if you're not, not using them. I, I think I got no. lessons. Anyway, so <laughs> we're here at Anchorage. You're, you're here. I got to say thank you for this lovely uh, Singleton Scotch, age 15 years. Very, It's not too smoky. Yeah. Sometimes these scotches, you know, a little too smoky. I don't, I don't mind the smoky, but this is a perfect balance. This is a nice balanced scotch. Um, I've never had it before, but it's got a fish on the label. And when uh, you said you wanted to talk about fish stuff, I thought we might as well give it a shot. So I want to get into the fish stuff because I, I want to talk about Cook Inlet. But yep. let's go back a little bit okay. and talk about Ben Moore. So I met you, it must have been 2011, 2010, 2011, when I sure. started my job in IT. I was getting involved in resource development for work, going to the meetings, and then I ran, ran for office. But very yep. early on, I have this vivid memory of you being part of what I call kind of the, the resource cabal. So okay. like you and like Katie Capozzi, like Jason Bruni, uh, Marliana, all, all the, you were kind of in that group. Well, you're pretty much just talking about a soccer team we put together. Yeah, but like you that know, was, if, that if was we, pretty much John, uh, John Shively. No, but if we were ever. Like, Shively, that, one of the best, one of the best 70 year old goaltenders you'll ever see. I heard, I heard about that. Yeah, he was good. So I just would it'd be at events you'd, and I kind of, and then I'm kind of started meeting you a little bit more because yeah. of, of the crowds I was in and you were at the time working for pebble, right? Yeah. So, and, and speaking of Shively, I mean, that guy gave me, um, 
gave me shot after shot after shot. I owe an incredible amount. And the goalie or in life? No, just in life. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so I like I when I hired on to Pebble, I was a temp. I was working the front desk. Um, it was right when the Anglo merger was starting to happen. And when Shively came in as CEO, um, he gave me a shot. And every year after that, when it was time for my annual review, it was, hey, great work. What do you want to do next year? Go do it. And it was, dude, it was, it was so cool. Um, the amount of opportunity that he tried to put in front mm-hmm. of people. When, and, I, when, yeah. when I ran for state Senate in 2012, I kind of knew him a little bit, not very well. I asked him, yeah. if, you know, if he'd give me a donate, gave me a hundred bucks or something and yeah. always answered the phone, never yeah. would act pretentious or like he's better than any. He was always, even so, now if I call him, he'll, he'll answer the phone. And, yeah. So the guy's door was always, when I worked for him, his door was always open, like literally and, fi- and figuratively door was always open. He would respond to every single email, even if it was thanks and, and go. And um, if I needed to take a lunch break and no one was in the office, you'd have the CEO sitting behind the reception desk taking phone calls and patching them through. Like the guy is humble, thoughtful, kind. I mean, everything everything good you've heard about Shives, I'm here to back Oh, up. no, I've, always, I've yeah. always liked him a lot. Yeah, he's a good man. So so um, you're not with Pebble anymore. It's been a long time. but I mean, It's been a they long did, time. They did make the announcement last I guess it's Sunday night here this week about yeah um, the Army Corps permit. You know, do you know what that means? Is that, I, know, I know it's not good. Uh, you know, um, watched their stock price drop pretty significantly when that happened. Yeah, uh, I saw I saw a screenshot yeah. of that. And who knows? Um, who knows what it means for the project? There's an awful lot of copper out there on state land designated for mineral development. There's an area of our state that's in tremendous tremendous uh, poverty that needs opportunities that don't get to see the other opportunities that some places in our state get. And oh, sorry. Um, sorry. Make sure you're talking to the mic. Yeah. I do that too. I get to the side sometimes. No, I just don't like to hear myself. Um, so I don't know what the future of Pebble is. Um, it's not something that I'm directly involved in or paying attention to right now in my current role. Um, but it's, it's interesting. So it, and the, the story of what happens out there is going to be, going to be very interesting, but I do know that the people out in the, in the lakes area, uh, around Iliamna Lake, New Haven and Dalton, Kakanak, um, of course, Iliamna, uh, those places need opportunity mm-hmm. and they need innovation. And, and frankly, even some of the communities there that don't necessarily support Pebble, um, have done some really incredible things. The, the salmons, Christina salmon and Alexander salmon have done some incredible things for their community. And it's that type of thinking that's going to help the other communities well, if you, in that area. If you read Twitter, Ju- Julia Savelle from Al Gross's campaign, she actually who's herself that? who the Julia from Al Gross's campaign. Who? She she herself sorry and, who's who's that she <laughs> she herself ended Pebble. You know she she put it on Twitter, so we all know that's I'm, what happened. I'm not familiar with this person. <laughs> I'm not I'm not familiar with him. I think you're fucking with me. <laughs> um, so you're kind of an interesting guy because I don't want to get too much into this, but you were with Pebble. Now you're with Kenai. River a sports sports fishing, fishing association. association. Yeah. So it's kind of like, kind of like Ella E. Ella was a pebble. Now she's with the um, Alaska yeah. Resource Education. So you're yeah. both running organization because you were there when she was there, I assume, right? Uh, so Ella and I missed each other uh, on a brief window. When I worked there, there were, so when I started, uh, Mike Smith and I were the only two men in the office and there were probably four women that worked there. Um, and then it grew to a big, a much larger company. Um, yeah, I've done a podcast. I've done Ella for long time we did a podcast she's great dude ella's big, she's incredible big fan me too yeah 
Um, so no, uh, I briefly missed working with Ella. Um, and I believe most of the people that I started with over there aren't there anymore. But, um, one of the, one of the most, one of the best strategic minds in the state, Mike Eatwall is over there. Um, whenever, whenever, whenever I think of, or see Mike Eatwall, I think of that flying spaghetti monster man at the, uh, who gave the, the, ben- the invocation at, in Kenai yeah. with the colander <laughs> on his head and all these people are in the background and they're just like looking fucking perplexed and confused and heat wall yeah. sitting right there. Yeah. And he's like, cause somebody sent me the video from the dais <laughs> and you can just see his face. Like what the fuck is happening? We yeah. put that video on YouTube on landmine YouTube channel. Yeah. It's got like, I got to check. I think 50,000 or that's awesome. 80,000. I keep getting like <laughs> updates. Cause I get the emails if there's a comment and yep. I got to change that. But that, that video he- heater is one of those guys who's in the background, but Honestly, if you want to look for somebody who is one of the most politically astute and strategic thinkers, Heater's Heater's one of the top ones in the state. He just it doesn't come with basically, bullhorn. basically it doesn't not, come with a bullhorn. Basically, not a Collier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm far enough. So I never worked for Collier. Um, I, I missed that whole. I, I only had one interaction thing. with that guy, and, yeah. and he was a real dick to me. That was a long couple of three years ago, and he was I could not believe how. Much of an ass he was. I just said he is. He's been described by some as the greatest liability of that project. <laughs> I think that's but, probably accurate you know, description. But also, it takes you know some of that mindset to get the project to where it's at. Some of that just don't don't give a hell. Just keep trucking forward. I don't know. That's that's not an area that I have any expertise. I don't really. I, I've met Tom half a dozen times, mm-hmm. maybe a dozen, and not at any great length. So now. The other thing I recall when I think of Ben Moore is you were involved with Sullivan's campaign in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I that was, his, was, I was his first campaign manager. And that was when he first kind of uh, filed or when he, yeah. Yeah. When he first filed. So I, I was recruited to go run that race. And in fact, I left Pebble to go run Dan's race. Cause when, when do you get the opportunity to run a Senate race? Like what, how I, often I, does I, that I, happen? I think um, to, probably very, very, very rare. But in Alaska, probably more much more frequently than in like New York or yeah. Texas or yeah. Florida, where it's like I'm sure they have the whole fucking teams of yeah, with you know, back firms and all that stuff. Yeah, like no. even this time, Shukro, you know, he's yeah, was a younger guy, worked for you know DC, then worked for the governor, and yeah. then he's running a, a U.S. Senate race. Yep. Yeah, and um, no, so I, I was lucky enough to take on Dan's campaign early on, and really the focus there was to to bring up the presence, bring up the name ID, start building coalitions across the state that would back him. And um, to get him across the line, the first goal was to to win the primary. And we did handily. Um, that was the Mead, Dan, uh, Joe Miller run primary, right? Yes. I remember that because yep. it got, it got at the end. Which was honestly, which was really hard for me because Mead was uh, a, a close friend of mine. He was my mm-hmm. mentor in leadership Anchorage. That was an incredibly hard conversation to go to Mead's house and tell him I was going to run the race against him. I think, you that know, I've, I've been in politics enough here where, cause he's such a good dude. You, you get involved and in, with people and you're yeah. inevitably going to cross somebody that you're friend, friends with or the, I think just the best thing is acknowledging that's how it is. And, and yeah. two, talking to that, talking to that person and being upfront yeah. and honest about it and, it and not hiding it and not yeah. making it weird. Just say, Hey, and if they can't accept it or if they can't deal with it, that's yeah. on them. But just that's yeah. how, you know, cause you move on two years later, year later. And yeah. Maybe that person wants you to help him. I know. And, and as much as it's it's uh, been a bummer to be on the other side of things from me on political races, like, he's a great man. Because he's, he's, you, you, you had the round two with the Dunleavy, because you were part of that Dunleavy independent group, right? 
Uh, yeah. That was a round two. <laughs> At that point, me, my damn it, bad. No, I feel really bad about it. I do. <laughs> I didn't even I think of that. Till now. Yeah, you, you had, so 14, and then, you know, fast forward four years, you got eight round two. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. Maybe, maybe round three, you'll be running Meade's campaign for something. I'd love to. He's a good man, and he's smart, and he's been successful, and he's he thinks about big things. You know what? I, and, what that's, I, and he has ideas that would do good for our state. Like, what are some new cool things we could be doing? Meade's one of those guys that's always looking for what's new and cool and can grow Alaska. Well, you know, he was hooked up with Hickel, and I yeah. still think we got to do that water pipeline. <laughs> that's a real thing. I mean, that's not, people think it's a joke. Like, we have a lot of water. Yeah, California has not a lot of water. Yeah, I mean, if the pipeline breaks, big deal. <laughs> it's a water. Um, so Meade, when I filed in 2011 to run in 2012, first I was going to run for the house. I switched to run for the Senate, but I, I had kind of knew, knew a little bit, not a lot, but I kind of knew who some of the people were and yeah. who to talk to. And Meade was one of the people I reached out to. And, and of the people I reached out to, you know, only a handful like responded yeah, uh, or answered. And Meade agreed to meet with me. And I went to his house yeah, uh, down there in, you know, Bootleggers, Bootleggers Cove. Yeah. And uh, my friend Bryce came with us. And we sat down and met with me for like an hour. Yeah. And talked to me about all these things. And I mentioned I had read this Hickle book and the owner's state. And when I, he like got very activated, he got oh, yeah. very like excited. Yeah. But um, yeah, one of the people who agreed to, you know, let me come over, didn't know who I was, probably didn't do nothing about me. Yeah. Talked to me for an hour at his house. And yeah. uh, I'll never forget that. That was, because you know, when you get in politics, especially as a new person, most people yeah. are just like, who you know, who's this person? I don't know who you are. Fucking, yeah. Especially if you're a higher level person like that and they don't yeah. want to deal with you. But, but, you know, Meade was one of the guys who... Um, well, and he's, it's that same attitude that he's got, that Shively's got, that, that uh, you know, a couple of other folks that I would consider friends and mentors have where, yeah, it's an open door. Alaska's a place of opportunity. Not much to it, but come in, tell me what you're thinking, and let's, can can we do something? Yeah. You know, the, I mean, even Dunleavy, like, I ran in 12 for the Senate. I switched and ran for the Senate. Yeah. Dunleavy was running for the Senate in 12 against Linda Menard. Yep. Same kind of, I was running against Liesel, Coalition. Yeah. And, um... I mean, look, look at him, you know, now he's governor. He was mm-hmm. never in the legislature, you know, he, he had served on the school board, but yeah. kind of an obscure, not a very well-known person. And fast forward, no. what, 2012 to 18, six years, he's governor. Yeah. I mean, a lot of states, no way that's going to happen. Well, it's it, and I've told people in the lower 48, I'm like, look, we've got fewer people in our state that you, than you have in your city. And it's just as... There, there's, yeah. there, there's state senate districts in California... That have more people than Alaska. I believe it. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's crazy. Yeah. One so of the, One of the reasons I'll never live in California again. So the other thing I remember <laughs> is um, you had a period of time where you were kind of, you were out of a job, right? Yeah. And it was, it was, it was kind of lasted for a while. So, so yeah, after, so I guess if we're going through my, my grown up time. Um, well, actually we didn't even talk about this. Hold on. You, you moved to okay. Alaska right about the same time I moved to Alaska. Yeah. I came up in 03. So I came in August 04. Okay. And you were so before that. I grew up in Northern California, and um, the way that I ended up here, I always wanted to be a doctor. Like from the time I was eight years old until probably like twenty three, um, all I ever wanted to do was go to med school, join the Navy, have have the Navy pay for med school, do my twenty, get out, have a practice. Like that. That was always the one and only goal. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened to that? Well, so actually my mom worked in a hospital. She did, uh, she worked with um, interns and staffing residents and things like that. And so I was picking her brain about it one night and I was like, what are some of the things that stick out when you're 
picking what kind of residents want to go to UC Davis and want to practice at the hospital. And, and she goes, well, you got to be personable. And I was talking to all our colleagues too about it, asking them, you know, I'm like a senior in high school. Like what are the things? And, um, take the MCAT. Well, they're like, don't be, don't be a pre-med. Don't be pre-med. Everybody's pre-med. Go do something you do for fun and get your Yeah, people say that. that. I remember pre-med or pre-law. And it's like, yeah. what does that fucking mean? Yeah, they're like, don't be pre-med. Do what you want to do. Do for, do what's for what's fun. Do what's good. Because what sticks out more to us than straight A's and perfect degree, you know, straight A's and all that stuff is, are you able to talk with someone? Are you able to have a conversation? Are you able to interact with them as a physician, as a healer? Uh, your test scores are going to be your test scores. Can you... Can you, you know, for lack of a better word, can you vibe with somebody? But I, I right. Some of the test scores are also, yeah, they're important. Big they're important right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to diminish that, but when it's like, okay, is it captain of the chess club, or I was also, I don't know, on the drama team or something? They're gonna, they're gonna balance those things. So, my take home from that was, well, I'm gonna go get my degree in what I do for fun, anyways. So I started out my first two years communications and kinesiology. I was wrestling in college, and so I was, you know, doing a lot of physical stuff. Um, and then nine eleven happened, and my cousin, my cousin's a cop on Long Island. Her husband's a firefighter, and um, he had already lost somebody earlier that year. Um, he traded shifts with a guy, and somebody from his firehouse uh, died on Father's Day because. Tony was going to be home with the mm-hmm. family on Father's Day. So already pretty sad in that firehouse. And their whole job was high angle rescue. It was, they were the first ones at the top of the skyscrapers. Right. So, um, so my cousin, um, her husband just got off work. He's driving back out to Long Island goes and he lays down and like 10 minutes later is when the planes hit. And so, and he didn't leave ground zero for, 30, 40 days after yeah, lucky, that. Lucky, he just got off work? Just got off work. Damn. So he was burning, a, he was getting back into New York when the buildings came down. But those were, that was his firehouse at the top of those buildings. So he lost everybody. And he spent the next, like I said, 30, 40 days, maybe sleeping half an hour a day or something, just sifting through rubble, right? So we wanted to go back there with James and Gina and spend some time with the family and, um, and just, you know, see them and, and be there. So flying back. So that's, that's the sob story and, and not, it was, it was the, the thing that kind of kicked it Precursor. off. So, so we're, we're flying back and I'm just reading backpacker magazine. Right. And thinking about great magazine. Right. And thinking about how, how real stuff is. Right. We're just down at ground zero and holy cow, what am I doing with my life? So you were there when the whole thing was all fucked, like torn up. Yeah, like this was three months after. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, and so there's an ad in Backpacker Magazine for Alaska Pacific University. You get a degree in backpacking or hiking. Do you love to hike? Do you love to kayak? So I was like, uh, my buddy that I moved, it, man. My buddy that I moved here with, he went to APU. He later got a degree from UA Geology, but he got an yeah. outdoor studies degree from APU. Yeah, I got my degree in outdoor studies at APU. Um, they what if you know my friend Brandon? Brandon, what's his last name? Maloney. Maybe. Yeah, he was there when... When was he there? That doesn't matter. Oh, four, oh, five, oh, six. When you were there. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, so APU doesn't really like to claim me anymore because I've run Republican races and worked at Pebble, but I did go to APU, and I so was so, an outdoor so, studies major. So now they're, now, they're, now, they're, now, they're, now they're schools owned by the native... Um, 
So they've, so they've, uh, not, not the hospital or who? No, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure what their status is anymore. I think they got purchased. I'm trying to remember if it's NTHC or what, but I, I know they, they're part of like, so they're a tribe, they're a, a tribal organization. So they're a tribal university now. Um, and yeah, I, I, I have no idea what that means or what that looks like, to be honest. Okay. So let's go back to the, you were out of a job for a while, right? So after, um, after Sullivan's race, uh, I left shortly before the primary and went to go work in Parnell's office as the uh, senior advisor, essentially looking at hunting, fishing, and public access issues. So that that was my beat. Um, oh, that's in 14. Yeah. So he lost, you were out. Yeah. Yep. Oh, Bill W. didn't keep, didn't keep you on. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which was funny because we were in Fairbanks, and uh, he asked me in front of the... <laughs> like it was weird. We're at the Laundry House Gang in Fairbanks, and I'm there in my official capacity, and he's there as a candidate. For the listeners, that's just kind of a group of folks that, that kind of yeah uh, run not run the show, but they're very politically involved in Fairbanks. Yeah, um, and he looks across the table. He goes, "Well, Ben, when I win, I hope you stick around." And oh uh, shit! And I was like, uh, you're, "You're like you're, you're like you're not winning, right?" You're I was like, "Your mind." Well, I was like, "Bill, I'm here in my official capacity, and I can't respond to you." <laughs> you should have gave him a winky, winky, like, "Okay, no. no way, man." Just that Just response. Just give me a little winky, no, no, winky. No, no. no, I was, I was, I was fully on on Team Parnell, right? You're, you're like you're on you're on Have Team you, Parnell. You just wink, wink like this. No, no. That's hedging your bet, buddy. You're no. hedging. Yeah, and I'm not about it. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that ra- Sean's race could have gone differently. Um, but again, I've been so lucky to be around such good people. Do you know Parnell very well? Not very well. I mean, I've met him many times over the years, and I was always very critical of his, um, you know, fis- fiscal policies like not vetoing any of the money out of the, out of the biggest budget ever and mm-hmm. i'd actually tried to get on a board or commission several times remember jason hooley yeah yep. i interviewed with him and i'd expressed i'd run in you know 12 i lost but i'd you know been involved in yeah community councils and, and i decided i wanted to you know kind of be involved in public service and what i can all these boards and commissions exist and right i was basically told uh yeah sean's not going to point you to anything so i said fuck <laughs> so then you know when i i kind of Supported Walker when he ran and yeah. didn't do a lot. Helped out a little bit with the campaign. Did some things here and there. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I knew Craig Fleener. Mm-hmm. And so Bill wins. And then I express interest in, you know, Board of Commission. I give a list of the ones I was interested in. And then, which speed, did, which, then Speedo game yes, happens. Which, which did not yeah. include the fucking Commission on Judicial Conduct. I've told this story in our yeah. countries. Yeah. When I got the email, you know, I talked about Alcohol Beverage Control Board. I think I mentioned, like, I don't know, ADA, which... Yeah, I'm not going to be an aider, but I just they did list five or you know I forget there was a bunch of there was oh judicial council yeah I mentioned there was a, several others never heard of commission on judicial conduct so I get the email yeah and I've I've again told this story in Arctic entries so it's it's on I think YouTube but um, back in 2016 is when I told it the first I was at the first yeah show of 2016 first person to go nice of the season and. I get this email, congratulations, Governor Walker's appointed you to the Commission on Judicial Conduct. And I said, what the fuck is that? So I Google it. <laughs> and you, you know what it is, right? They, they adjudicate c- complaints against judges. It's a serious thing. Yeah. It's no. three lawyers, three uh, judges, and three members of the public. Yeah. And guess guess whose spot I was taking? Oh, I have no idea. Amy Demboski. <laughs> she was the one public member that was yeah. up. And, you know, and then I first thing I thought was, you know, Lisa McGuire's chair of the... Judiciary. Judiciary Committee. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing on... Did, it, re- did it require... Oh, confirmation, did, yes. It required confirmation. Yes, and hearings. Yeah. Senate, Judiciary, House, Judiciary. Maybe probably House Finance, Senate Finance. But, yeah. you know, and then 
Alexander Gutierrez, who was a reporter at the time, tweeted yeah. out who's bringing popcorn to Jeff Lanfield's confirmation hearing. And then, yeah. then the whole thing you can imagine, the Speedo picks started flying around, you know, the whole Capitol and yep. totally unspooled. And then, the, you know, I didn't, I was not going to quit because, yeah. fuck that, I'm not going to get bullied to yep. quit. And then they called me a misogynist for, for no reason. Remember that whole thing? That oh, was I wild. Remember. Huffington yeah. Post called me, New York Times called I got all these yeah. calls. And they were like, what'd you do? And I was like, I went to Vegas. Went to Vegas. I'm a consenting adult. They're consenting adults. They go, where'd they get the pics of you in the Speedo with the women? I said, Facebook. on my Facebook. <laughs> on my public Facebook. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was because Parnell wouldn't put me on Well, but I've anything. said it. And, and, in fact, when you ran and all this stuff started to happen, I've said it a number of times. That's like, there's there's going to be a, uh, a generation or two of, um, of people that are running for office that have lived their lives on social media and they're going to get dragged through the well, mud. I, I don't, I don't think they until will. People, well, no, I think we're coming to a bro, point where we're you're, so you are part of that Vanguard class that got dragged through the mud because of stuff that you did on social media. And I think in the coming years, I would hope it becomes less and less. Of well, an I think issue. with the speedo gate, less and less of an issue, which, which got labeled, um, People didn't realize, older folks especially, didn't realize those pictures were like my pictures. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they thought, oh, God, pictures surfaced, somebody leaked pictures. And then I think the biggest confusion came about when I would, I didn't apologize. I think people yeah. were expecting, I've, I've oh, hurt I my remember. friends and the, family. No, I go, it was the, girl, the girls in the photos wrote letters saying yes, that the, they had a great time. Many of the women that were in the photos are from yeah. Australia, from all yeah. the East Coast. Because I go to Vegas, imagine me in the pool. Cabana friends. I mean, I'd rather not imagine that, but no, I'm but sure just, it happens. You can imagine. I bring everybody yeah. to the cabana. We start. Yeah, people. I'm a kind of a, a magnet for for fun, right? So, yeah. I had all these girls for three or four or five trips we took. Yeah. More than that, I had them on Facebook. Yeah, they see the thing. The Australian ones were the funniest because at that point, their prime minister Tony Abbott had just taken a picture at the yeah. beach wearing a speedo. They call it an Australia budgie smuggler. Yeah, and they were like, "What is wrong with you people?" Yeah, here's our prime minister. He's wearing. He's with. People at the beach wearing a speedo. Yeah, but no, I think a lot of people were expecting me to say I'm sorry and blah blah, and yeah. I just said you know this is bullshit. No, and and um, yeah, I I maintain though there's going to be a few ranks of folks that are going to come through and get slaughtered over their social media pasts, and then eventually at some point somebody's going to say, "Well, I think eh, I think I don't care." I think the other thing is, and this you've, you can even go back in time, like Charlie Wilson. You know, if you read about. It's a movie. Charlie Wilson's wore this book. Mm-hmm. He was a congressman. He was neighbors with Don Young for a long time. We did a podcast. We talked about that. But yeah. he was known as like kind of a womanizer and a drinker. And people just kind of accepted that. Yeah. I think if you, you know, live your life in the open, whether it's now or in the past, and people kind of know who you are, yeah. you know, you get more of a leash than if you're one of these like holier than now, moral yeah. majority. I, you know, I don't condone any kind of. Yeah. Anything drinking or any whatever it is, and then yeah. they get caught cheating or doing. Oh, those stuff. those are the, those guys are the worst. Those are the ones that always get caught, but right? Th- those are the ones that have to get in trouble because they're yeah. hypocrites. Yeah. With me, I think people just kind of know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for Jeff. me, for me, my you know my measure is: is it having an impact on the policy? Like, is it is it actually having an impact on on what they're doing? Like, there have been a lot of cads. We'll put it that way. That's that's the the rad the wrong word for it. Mm. But there've been a lot of um, a lot of guys up to no good in the White House for a very long time. 
Trump wasn't the first asshole in the White House. Oh, no. I mean, not right? just the White House in general. In pol- I mean, right. And you're, you're right. When, it, when but, it starts to affect the job or the policy, then. Yeah. But, but very few have been that out in the open about it, you know, or, or that in your face about it. And for me, you know, I was actually just having this conversation with a family member recently. It was like, you know, I don't, I don't care about the fact that the person's an asshole or what they're doing in their personal life. What are their policies like? What are, how are they impacting the actual, the actual world and their personal life is their personal life. I I agree with that, but 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 there also is a tone. Yeah. That I agree with you for for the most part, but there also is a tone that, and like, I'm not going to say I love Trump or hate Trump. I mean, I think he's done a lot of great things for Alaska. Yeah. But there is a tone. Yeah. That is, it's, it's maybe it's basically, it's so foreign to all, because nobody's ever dealt with that. Yeah. And anybody who's alive, even Clinton, you know, he got in trouble and Lewinsky, but yeah, you know, that was a big thing. But the, his tone was up until that point. He was, you know, nobody was quite as bellicose about it, right? But, right? Yeah, but you look at the stuff that Johnson would do, and he was or Kennedy. Uh, I mean, I think people yeah. probably knew about Monroe and Kennedy. I think that was not a secret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stories that go back a, a long time in history. I was yes. reading an article about the uh, hustler. It was brand new at the time magazine, Larry Flint. They got the Jackie O pictures. That's how Hustler really took off was they got, they, they got naked pics of Jackie Onassis hmm. in, uh, I think, Europe. Wow. And he published them. And that's how Hustler really pop, popped off. Wow. Back in the 70s. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of switch gears here a little bit. Okay, sorry. Um, oh, no, it's, this is... Yeah. Talk about whatever you want. So wanted to go to med school, ended up coming to Alaska, uh, decided not to go to med school and to see how things were going to work here. Actually got accepted to go to grad school in outdoor studies in Australia. And I was like, Oh um, fuck, where? Latrobe. Why didn't you go? I decided to put it off a year and see how things were going to work out with this. I, I as seeing. you probably know, I spent a year in Australia and man, you should have gone. Yeah. Well, so when did you get married? I don't You have a kid. A right? couple years after that. Yeah. Oh, you should have gone. Fuck. Well, well, no, it was one of those things where let me see how things are going to work out with this girl, and I ended up marrying her. And then it oh, was, and then good. it was the math of, okay, do I want to spend the next ten years building, going to school, and then trying to build a practice, or do I want to spend the next ten years building the family? And the, the second one won. And, get, and getting loose. Oh, well, I mean, I don't know what you mean. Just I don't know <laughs> nothing. So okay, so you're. You're having this rut, but then you end up going to Siri. So, yeah. So after Parnell's office, Governor Parnell lost, which was, in my opinion, unfortunate. He's a one of the finest men. Like, he's one of those people who just make you want to be a better person when you're a little See, and I know a lot but, of people who've worked for him, and yeah. I, I, I never had – my issue was all just policy. I'd be fiscal. surprised if you find anybody that has anything negative to say about him. I did feel really bad, though. I was on the airplane. I think it was last session – Maybe the one before, but there was a milk run. Yeah. And he was coming from, I think he was coming from the previous stop. Might have been Ketchikan. But I kind of did feel bad because he got on the airplane. And it was a pretty full plane. Yeah. And, like, no one said anything. Where if it was, like, Murkowski or Palin or Walker, people were probably, hey, governor. I kind of felt bad. I was like, man, nobody. But he's not, but he's not working anymore. He's, I mean, he's not running for office anymore. He doesn't have to glad hand everybody. He wasn't the most. But if Frank got on right now, I think somebody But, but might. there's also different personality types. Like, uh, Parnell isn't the most outgoing. Well, he probably he probably never would have been governor if Palin didn't resign, right? Like, did, did he have ambitions? I mean, I know he was in the Senate. He was in the legislature. He was co-chair. So he had probably ambitions. But would, would he have become governor if Palin wouldn't have resigned? Oh, I don't know. Probably not. I haven't, I haven't thought about it. Because she would have had a term till 10. Mm-hmm. 
And then if she wouldn't have run somebody, there would have been a whole host of folks that got, and then he kind of became the default guy two years into it. And he he won. If he would have won in 14, he would have been a 10 year governor. I know. I was actually looking forward to it, but um, so after uh, Parnell, um, I was on the, you know, looking for work. Um, my wife's dad got really sick, got pancreatic cancer. So we spent a bunch of time oh, yeah, back I remember east that, yeah. dealing with, dealing with that and he ended up passing away from it. So I was trying to. Of all the cancers, and I'm, I'm not an expert, but that's the bad one. That strikes me as like well, the, the bad one. They're all bad. They're all bad. But pancreatic has a very low survival. I guess when I say that's the, yeah. that's the Alex Trebek, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he lived a lot longer than. Yep. Like a lot of people thought. Yeah, very low survivability on, pancre- on pancreatic. So um, Ed passed away. And um, so I was trying to trying to start, like, I thought maybe I could do a consulting business or maybe I could do, like, legislative analysis or something like that. I was having a hell of a time finding work. Um, you could do something like like we, more information, M-O-H-R, right? right? Something, right. More info. But not being physically here makes it really hard to build a new business when you can't show up and see mm-hmm. people at the RDC breakfast. So you were on the East Coast with the the, the not the not dad. I was back and forth. Okay. I was back and forth. Um, and what was costing us more? Yeah, the scotch is good. It's like it's kind of very, <laughs> it's very smooth. I gotta say, folks, if you're you've never had a Singleton single malt Glendolen, fifteen year aged giving a shout out we're not getting paid for that but oh you should um so it's hard to build that build a, a company when i wasn't physically here most of the time um did you start a company or no yeah i did rock acres consulting LLC. oh yeah I, I, oh yeah i remember that yeah um and it was actually costing us more every month for medical insurance than it was for the mortgage on our house like this was during the height of Obamacare and all that stuff when they were trying to get it turned over. Was this pre, and was this, had it kicked in yet, Obamacare? Or? Yeah. Because it passed in tw- 10, I guess. Yeah, yeah 10, so, so we were required to have insurance. My wife has some pretty significant medical issues, so we had to have decent um, insurance. And it cost us more every month to maintain that insurance than it cost us to keep the house. We almost lost the house. Like well, we were, I, if had it not been for the kindness of a friend and... Ed's life insurance policy, we would have lost the house with a one year old. I, I don't want to, we can go down yeah. a rabbit hole with this, but I'll tell you what, I lived in Australia for a year. Yeah. And you can argue all day long about socialized medicine or single payer. People in Australia, they like this, even if they have the problems with it. And there are problems. Like if you, if you break your knee, okay, or your shoulder, you have to wait a few months. Yeah. Right. But no one's going bankrupt for, for getting hurt or for, you know, having a, a complication with a pregnancy. Yeah. And when you tell them, even the ones who complain, and I talked to a lot of Australians about this. When you tell them stories about our system, yeah, they just go like, "Oh, I might fucking good thing we don't got that here," because because it just you know I'm not saying we should have the very you know high tax expensive system, but a yeah. a, a broad kind of blanket policy for everybody, it's, for, for for serious stuff, yeah, or or unforeseen stuff would be such a, <clears throat> you know. It would take such a burden off so many people's backs. It, yeah, I worked at Cal Worthington for a year in 05 when I moved to Alaska. Yep. Moved here in 04, worked there for basically all of 05. I was 20 years old. You know, I didn't really know much. But we'd have people come in a lot who had, you know, good income. They were, you know, they were okay. They wanted a loan. Mm-hmm. But they had some, you know, half a million dollar charge off for some medical thing. Yeah. 
And this would happen enough where I like remember it being, I'm like, wow, is that being a thing? How does somebody owe half a million dollars for, because yeah. they got sick, right? They got cancer. They got really hurt and they, they couldn't, they didn't have insurance. And yeah. now they have like a job and money, but they can't get a loan because they owe some hospital half a million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's so that's outside my scope. I don't know enough about health policy. You'd have to talk to, you have to talk to, I don't know, somebody talk it, to, it just, talk it, to uh, Emily uh, Ricci down in Juneau about healthcare policy. It, 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 it just gets, it just gets boiled down to like socialized medicine, you know? And yeah. I mean, the, the case is the, the fact is we already have in many ways a so Medicare, Medicaid, it's more expensive to, you know, have somebody off insurance who doesn't have any way to get, in, you know, medical care and they get hurt. Something happens to them. They go to the ER or they, they have no insurance. They get cancer becomes a bigger cost on society. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go to that. Anyways, separate podcast. <laughs> and I've talked about that a lot, actually. So, um, couldn't find work. Uh, luckily the outdoor studies degree along with kind of a background in public access, um, and land issues. Uh, I got a job at Siri cook and region incorporated. It's one of the regional native corporations. Um, got a job there as their land manager. And so I was handling the surface. You ever do anything with lakes? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have any reason to ask. Other I, than one specific lake. I'm curious. I, I remember talking to to Paxson about a couple of those issues a couple of times. So Paxson and Kale walked out to Fire Island. No, Fire Island is. I know. I told them not to. No. No. Does Siri own Fire Island? Yes. I was actually having this conversation on the way back home from Homer. Yes. Siri owns that land, right? Yes. It's not part of the public. Municipal, like municipal land. Correct. Anything above mean high tide out there is private property. So, honest question. I'm not. I'm not being dumb here. Yeah. Why don't they do something with like build a casino? Maybe if they can't get a casino with gaming, they'll but yeah. do something. I don't know. A hotel. A, a a fun. I don't know. Something. Maybe a prison. Even. Why not throw the there, prison out there? There have been a. There have been a lot of different ideas put out out there. There's some people. Has a prison come up? Prison has come up. Um, as a casino, luxury, if, if they got if they got uh, laws changed, luxury homes have come up. Uh, a yes, new, cabins a new, maybe cabins. A new port. Uh, there have been people that would that would argue that it would be cheaper to build a whole new modern port system than to redo the port of Anchorage. Um, How would they get the stuff over here? You'd have to build a bridge, but even incorporating that cost. Uh, well, bridges. That's I mean, you can walk yeah. the. Th- so they walked it, and I didn't ever. I never knew you could do that. So it's got to be really low, low tide to be able to walk it. You can't always walk it. So how, how many days a year can you walk it? Uh, you know, once or twice a month, a couple times a month. Yeah. Every yeah, I don't know, four weeks or so. Better in the summer, better in the winter. Uh, Not that we're advocating for that, but. No, if, if you were foolish enough to do it, um, you would probably want to go in the summertime just in case, because otherwise you're dodging icebergs. So how do you get there? If you want to go, somebody from Syria, do you helicopter? Do you take a boat? Uh, yeah, there's three different ways to get out there. Traditionally, when Syria goes out there, you can either take a boat, uh, a helicopter, or there's an airstrip. Oh, there's, I don't know. Is there an airstrip, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, it used to be an FAA site. They, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty big. They should do something with that thing. Oh, it's a big island. Yeah. Yeah, it's not small. And there's still a handful of set netters that operate down there on the so far how side So how did they, it. do you know the history of how they got it? I mean, I assume it used to be municipal No, it was federal. It was federal. It was FAA land. Oh, okay. And yeah. then Siri got bought it or got it or uh, through, um, yeah, through uh, Native Claims Settlement Act. If we ever legalize gaming in Alaska, like wouldn't 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 a fucking awesome casino on Fire Island be pretty awesome? 
Uh, it depends on how much you like the view of the horizon in Alaska. Do you really want a casino right there in your in your? It does, side, doesn't have to be like line? thirty stories. I don't, you know, dude. That. You can see every single one of those wind turbines from the hillside. That's all another story. So what's even happening with that? I mean, that was <laughs> that was a lot of federal money subsidized. So that was energy department. That was not my department. No, it's still there's still producing nearby they're, they're, those guys, but you know. Are you, it, are you are you familiar with the issue? Uh, not enough to even be dangerous with it, man. Because they yeah. produce power, but it's variable. So mm-hmm. the power still. I mean, they have to. Chugach has to be able to have backup power mm-hmm. in case the turbines don't produce the power they need. So, I mean, they already have redundant power in case those turbines don't. Plus, it's a very small percent. It's like a few percent. I don't know how much they put into the grid, dude. You're you're talking something that's not really my my language on energy stuff. I wish right, it was. Whenever you land on the airplane, if you're with somebody who's never been here, like, what are those? What are those fucking windmills doing yeah. there? Because <laughs> I mean, well, it's a clear shot. Yeah, yeah. No, um, obviously. So Siri's been very shrewd with their business dealings for a long time. They wouldn't have done that if it didn't make sense to do. Well, there was huge subsidies um, at the time. Yeah, on those. So, you know, and that's that's a private corporation's decision to make, you know, to, to do that resource. And there, there's, that a, site, there's, a, good on them. there's a line, there's a power transmission line from, yeah, there's another an undersea cable yeah, to that runs into Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. Where was I going with this? I was talking about Siri. So I worked for Siri for, uh, for a while. And then, um, about, and you, you were doing been, the Dunlavey thing in 18, the, uh, the, the IE. So that was in my personal time. Uh, I took, I burned a lot of leave to go do that, and I worked late in the evening on that. I just know because Paxson and Kale were involved too, and yeah. So and I and I they were on day to day stuff. I was, um, I uh, would consider myself more as a senior advisor to the campaign. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So kind then, of a, kind of a general consultant to the campaign. So then I get a call a year and a half ago, or from you. I call. I think I called you, and I didn't know this, but you moved to Kenai. Yeah, man. And that's what I want to talk about because I yeah. want to really have a conversation because I'm not a fisher. Dude, best decision ever was getting out of Anchorage and moving down to Soldatna. So so you, you, you live like legit peninsula. You're, you've uprooted your whole family. You're, you're a peninsula guy now. Yeah. Yeah, I live down in Soldatna now. Uh, we bought a house down there. Um, sold the place here in Anchorage. I'm, I'm here this weekend. You were I'm living in East Anchorage before, right? Yeah. Easy yeah. sell? Uh, remarkably easy sell. Yeah, we here? we had to do a lot of fix up to it, but yeah, we were able to sell it. Uh, so it wasn't. Uh, so it would have been nineteen. Yeah, summer nineteen. Nice, right, good. Yeah, good time. Yeah, so we were able to. I did. I did a lot of renovations. I fixed it up and made it look nice. Um, and yeah, fairly easy sell. Took us a little while to find the right place for us down in Soldatna, but we found a beautiful home. Um, you'd love it because it's got a it's got a nice wood fired sauna. You told me that, and I want to actually experience I mean, that. I fired up the sauna the other night. It was awesome. Oh my god! All so it's like t- a, it's like a Russian banya type situation. Yeah, yeah, it's a makai. It's oh my god. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, how, how many people can accommodate? Uh, so there's a bench on one wall that I think you could probably sit three people against, and if you took out the table on the other side, you could put another one or two in there. So it's not a huge one. There's a, there's a Russian yeah. saying that's pretty, pretty popular in Russia. It's called Yetu Generalov Banyu, which means there's no generals in the Banya. Yeah. Which means everyone's naked in the Banya. So <laughs> nobody's wearing the shoulder, you know. The, so here's the deal. Everyone's equal in the Banya. Uh, that's why I go solo in my 
<laughs> if I'm there, we're going naked. That's it. Um, you're free to make your decisions. I'm going to wear something. A loincloth or something? or I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I got to come down. Yeah. I was coming back from Homer, and you, you actually responded to my... Dude, post. I wasn't even there though because I was I was up. You weren't even here. I was selling raffle tickets. Why would you? Why would you say? Why didn't you stop by? Because when am I going to miss a chance to kick you in the balls a little bit? And that's it. Because you know (laughs) the truth is you weren't even there, so wouldn't have been able to stop by. You could have checked in. If I had known you were coming down that weekend, I would have left my dog and told you to house sit. Well, we were in Homer. It's only a forty-five minute drive. I like Soldotton actually. I I haven't been down there for a couple. You know, I think. Well, you drove through it. Right, but I'm trying to think it was three or four years, and I, well, it was before the fire. Yep. And that fire fucking ravaged that. Yeah. I could not believe we had hit one stretch of five or ten minutes of just, yeah, all the trees were fucking, it was, it was a wasteland. Yeah. Yeah. Were you it, down there? You were down there, right? Yeah. And it, so holy it's, shit, I could not believe how many trees were burned down. Yeah. But living down there is um, totally different from where I grew up. Like, I grew up in inner city Sacramento, like, no shit. Uh, three crack houses on our street, drug needles in the gutter, drive-by shootings Anch- on my block. Anchorage today. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit rougher. So this was this was the 80s in Sacramento. Um, what year were you born? 81. Yeah. I'm 84, so. Okay. Um, You're my elder. Only, but only by a little bit. It doesn't count <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah, so, it, yeah. It, so, it, like. At what point, wait, hold on. At what point yeah. do... At what point does age stop? Like after 30 or 40? Because like if, if somebody's like 48 Depends, and, somebody, you, and somebody's 41, you, it's the same a, thing, right? you asking me or are you asking R. Kelly? Well, <laughs> no, that's a sexual. No, what I'm saying is like if I'm 36, I'll, I'll be yeah. 36 in a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. The difference between me is 36 and somebody who's 30. Yeah. I don't think that's a, a great difference, right? Yeah. Now, the difference between somebody who's 20 and 14, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the age difference. At what probably, point does that age gap start to fade? I think the age gap, like legitimately, I would say the age gap begins to slow when brain development starts to slow. So uh, around twenty six or so, I would say is when things. So if both parties are over twenty six, so if somebody's twenty seven and somebody's forty five. No. Well, now are you talking about like a relationship? Because that's the half plus seven rule. No, not not. I'm just talking about generally. As far as, as being maybe able a friend to, or so, so part of it is because I have, um, I have being, a lot of good friends that are in their fifties that are yeah, friends of mine. Part of it is being a, just a decent human being. Can you be friends with other, other human beings regardless of their age? But if you're looking at what puts people on par, I think after 26 brain development starts to, you know, you're not, most people have reached the level they're going to reach. And then, um, then it's life experience. And so folks, if you're 30, Ben's saying you're not going to get smarter. I think brain science says your brain is done developing. I know, I know. (laughs) I don't mean I agree. You ever listen to Joe Rogan? Uh, I do, regularly. He's big in the frontal cortex. It's a big topic for him. Yeah. Somebody recently referred, a friend of mine listened to a podcast I did that was me and Paxson did a podcast on the Berkowitz meltdown Mm -hmm. scandal. And uh, somebody close to Paxson described me as a JV Joe Rogan. (laughs) That's Which I kind of... Actually, like that's actually high praise, man. Yeah, that guy's got more. What is it, the most down, most listened to podcast in the world right now? Home yeah, Boy's he signed the you know the Spotify deal with a hundred million dollars, right? Yeah. If you could be JV, what does that mean? You should be getting at least at a, least ten million. At least, I mean, yeah, I was gonna like, I was gonna kick you. Where's the fucking money? I was say a mill, but 
No, I like I listen to that. I listen to I listen to like the comedy podcast. So I listen to like Segura and mm-hmm. uh, Kreischer and uh, oh, Bert. So and, I met I met. Did, did you see me in Australia? Bert I Kre- sent you that. I sent you the yeah. link to tell you to go so, meet him. I sent oh, that to fuck, you. Oh fuck, you did. Yes. Holy shit, I forgot about that. Yeah, I told you to go. Meet oh him. my god, I forgot about that. So yeah. I was in Melbourne. Mel. So how do you say Mel? How do you say that? How do I say Melbourne? Melbourne with the R. See, no, it's I use this. It's Melbourne. I was, trust me, they also, if you say Melbourne, they're like, hey, fucking American. Like, they get, they get mad. Yeah, but here's the deal. You are an American. You're right. allowed to I, say it that but way. If you're living, if you're living there. Yeah. Anyways, I was in Melbourne or. Melbourne. We'll say Melbourne. Yeah. And. Um, P. So, Sherman. So, Bert Kreischer told, told the story about yeah. the Russian train and, you know, this, this oh, very, yeah. like, viral bit he this did is, about. This, this is, so as much as Kreischer was, like, the, uh, the foundation for Van Wilder. And he was yeah. like the, the party guy of the year and all that stuff. Fuck his you, you, the, the thing that got did, him did famous was, was the, that was, story. Yeah, the Russian trip, so, you know, in the nineties. So Russian in college, you know, yeah. and uh, the machine, the yeah, machine story. The machine. So, fuck, you did send me that link, didn't you? I told you because I was like, dude, this guy how, how is you, but successful. That? Yeah, no, but, but no, right, but <laughs> correct. But I, but I had seen, I had seen that. I had seen yeah. the. I was familiar with the machine story. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a fucking story that I've never told anybody. All right. I'm going to tell you a story. So I go to it and he does his bit and he took shirts off. And I'm with this, I'm with this Australian woman that I had met in Darwin. Okay. That I had, I don't want to go in. I'm a little drunk. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get it's loose. Good scotch. It's good scotch. We've, we've drank about a third of the bottle. Um, we were dating. I met her in Darwin. Almost. I don't want to go into that, but serious. We could have. Right. Didn't work out. She was in Melbourne working. I was I I took her to the Burt Kreischer show. Yeah. At this huge fucking theater and he um he was telling the machine story. Yeah. And at one point in the show he said, "Does anybody speak Russian?" Yeah. And I said in Russian, "I speak Yakovadu Paruski, I speak Russian." Yeah. And he goes, "Fuck." <laughs> you know, cuz probably like he's not yeah. used to ha- that happening. Right. And then we had this weird little interaction whatever. He told the story. It was really funny. And then afterwards, we took, you saw the picture I posted. Yeah. Where our yeah. shirts are both off. I'm with Burke Reicher. Yeah. Shirts are off. And, um, you know, I like. Which is, this is this is here, a fun story for me because my no, dad was a stand-up. But, yeah, but, here, but here's the point of the story is never, never meet your heroes. Right. Because we ended up, and I don't know if I asked him or if he went there anyways, but we were, there was a bar right down the pub, right down the road. Yeah, he does the meet and greets at the bar. And he came over yeah. and, and I was um, buying shots and he wouldn't do vodka. He would not do vodka. Yeah. Fireball. He would do fireball. Hmm. So I bought some rounds of fireball. I'm with I'm with um, this Australian woman that I met. In, you know, we'd spent a few months in Darwin. She was down there for work. And I'm trying to talk to him. And I'm trying to tell him a story. I was drinking, so, you know. Sure. But I was trying to tell him a story of when I got kidnapped in Ukraine at gunpoint. Yeah. Which I've told in Arctic Entries. Yeah. And, and at one point, he just looked at me and he goes... Yeah, I don't fucking care about your fucking story. Like, I don't care. I don't. I don't fucking care. I don't want to hear your story. Like, yeah, because obviously he was tired. He's working. He's like, did probably want to, didn't want to be there. But it was just what a letdown of like somebody that I really looked up to. He had this great story. I had spent yeah. a lot of time in Russia. I had totally understood what he was saying. I've been yeah in these kind of situations. Like, I've, I just knew you thought exactly. Thought you'd hit it off. Yeah, and, and and never meet your heroes. Yeah, he's on Joe Rogan all the time. Yeah, no, and and like I said, I listened to those comedy podcasts because my dad was a comedian. And, um, and that's probably a good reason I never met my dad. 
Really? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, just, <laughs> fuck, the way you looked at me, I was like, oh, my God, this just got deep. No. I thought, like, you like you reconnected with your dad when you were, like, 22 or something <laughs> no. based on no, the I way li- you said that. I lived God. with my dad. Man, dude, you gave me you gave teenager. me stone-cold eyes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, it was just a joke. <laughs> that was a good That was a good joke. God, God damn, man. You, I, I just, like, you fell into that, man. Yes, I did. <laughs> right. I did. Okay. So we parted with Bert for a little while, and then, and then the, it, the, 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 no, my dad and I were very close. I loved him. The other yeah. thing about that night, is he still alive or no? No, he passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, while, did he? While I was out sheep hunting, he passed while I was oh, in boy. the field. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, happens how old was he? Happens to everybody. Uh, I think he was 62, 62. Oh, he was young. Like that. Yeah. So I'm 30, I'll be 36 in a few weeks. My dad's 70, he'll be 78 yeah. in January, so, you know, yeah. getting up there. Us more men aren't long-lived. So um, I'll tell you one more little story about that. I, I, I'm not going to say na- names or anything, but at that night, the Bert Kreischer night at that bar outside of the comedy, yeah. you know, the, the theater the in Melbourne, yeah. the woman I was with who I was da- dating, kind of I met her in, Mel- you know, Darwin. We spent a few months. She came to um, Melbourne that night. We were at this bar okay. and she was going to go back the next day, I think, or maybe two days later. And there was a half Australian, half American, a woman there who spoke with kind of an American accent, but you could tell she was a little bit, she was half Australian, half, half American. Okay. And she was like really interested in, in, in like the woman I was with. Huh. And I was like observing this. I was like, this is great, you know? And then so I had like, we had been drinking, we were talking, and I had suggested we all go back to the hotel. And the woman I was with was like, was like very against it. And I was like, okay, no, no problem. That's fine, you know? She was like even mortified that I would suggest it. But then later... She was like open to it. I was like, well, we already fucking left, <laughs> you know? So that's my bird crasher moment, you know? That's funny. What a letdown, man. Sorry that, uh, sorry that that was the interaction. Yeah. That's he just looked at me. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't want, he's like, I don't fucking care. I don't, I'm, what did he say exactly? Like, I, I, I like vividly remember the, yeah. the moment. Yeah. I was like, wow, this guy's but not, you, you can also imagine I had this like moment. I'm going to be having yeah. this conversation with him. We're going to tell, we're going to connect and stories and Russia and yeah. crazy. And we're going to, and it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't fucking care. Yeah. He said, yeah, he said, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Bottom is fireball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, man. And it would be really easy for me to jump in and try to defend uh, defend the guy, but I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think he was tired. I think he's, yeah. he's doing a tour in Australia. I think every night he's probably doing a show. I'm not like mad. Yeah. I was just more let down. Yeah. You, you know, when you're a kid, when someone, right. your parents are like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. That's worse. Yeah. Yeah. So acknowledging I've had some scotch. Yeah. Which I think you can hear on the podcast for the listeners. Sorry, it makes it fun. I do want to talk about Cook Inlet Fishery. Okay. I want to switch gears here a little serious. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, I don't fish a lot. I'm not a big, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the policy. A lot of my friends fish, subsistence, you know, they go out, they dip net, whatever. Yeah. I had a, a conversation a few months ago with a friend who was, we were having some beers. It was probably like four months ago, summertime. His neighbor came by, older guy, yep. who had been here since like the '60s, and we're talking about fish, and we we're talking about Cook Inlet. And this guy told me that when he was a kid, he used to go to like Big Lake and like Deshka, and he said there was fucking salmon everywhere. Yeah. So like I I know there's set nets and drift nets, and I know there's commercial, and I know people want to make money, but what you know, what is happening with the commercial fishery and Cook Inlet? Because because what, 97% of Alaska's all fish included, right? 
97 uh, is all harvest for commercial. Yeah. Yeah. So three, what we get like 3% for, for subsistence or sport. Uh, is that right? I'd have to go back and check the numbers, but that sounds right to me that, that the recollection is right. But you have to put that in perspective, right. To, to defend the commercial fleets a little bit. That includes, um, that includes the cod that they're fishing out on the high seas. That includes like the fish fillet crab, sandwiches. That yeah. inf- includes the crab. It includes the halibut. Includes so I, I think salmon's pro- salmon's right. probably not as high, but so, there's definitely yeah. more of a commercial. <laughs> yeah. Commercial has more more for sure. Yeah, than, than subsistence oh, or sport. Absolutely. Yeah, the commercial fleets harvest far more salmon than the so, than the sport and personal use. Okay, so so as not yeah. a salmon expert, the salmon go up, they lay the eggs, they come back, and then they they. No. Fl- no, so so you're thinking Atlantic salmon that go out lay eggs, come back, whatever. So Alaska salmon, oh, they, um, they lay the eggs at the t- top of the river, right? Yep. So they'll lay their eggs at the top of the river. Those eggs will hatch, depending on the type of salmon. We've got five different species up here. Depending on the species, they'll either go directly out to sea, or yeah, they, they go back. To the, yeah, they go back, or they'll rear for a few years in the in the river or or lake that they're in. Um, then they'll go out to sea, do some growth out at sea. And then they'll come back after a couple of years. And these, and fuck, then, and these, and these when fuckers, they come back up after they spawn, they die. These fuckers know. Do they go up the same river? They go back to where they were born. Yeah. They go how do right they know? Like, how do they know that? Um, dominant thought is that it has to do with scent, with smell. Something, something Incredible. that's picked up, like with the particular chemical makeup of the waterway coming from that spot. Okay. Okay. I, so, so, I don't know for sure. So I'm first to admit, not a fisheries biologist. Like I was an outdoor studies but, major, but, but but they know the fish go back to where they were yeah. born, right? There's there is some stray, uh, and in certain species, the stray rate is higher than in others. So what do we have in but cooking? Yes. We have king, chinook. So king, chinook pink. are the same. So we have uh, we have kings, sockeye, which are reds, pink, silvers, silver, yeah, and then chum. Yeah, and so those are the five species that we have across Alaska. Okay, so so for so, and this is my understanding again. Before the commercial fishery was in place, mm-hmm. all these fucking salmon would go up unencumbered, right? So there, there was there was the escapement was so let's full. Let's imagine it's a thousand years ago, right? Even probably five, well, five hundred even. Uh, yeah, to some extent, five hundred years ago. Yeah, we can go five hundred. I'll say Russian. When did Russian influence start to come into Alaska? Uh, six, seventeen, seventeen century, seventeen hundreds, I think. Yeah, so we'll give so two hundred and fifty years ago, they probably started to commercialize salmon through the Russian fleets. But the Russians were a lot but, more in southeast. But I mean, they were they right. they were in. They, but just just for this for this thought experiment, let's say it's five hundred years ago, and the only individuals that are out there affecting the fishery are Alaska natives. Right. Right. Um, and they're getting enough to eat for their for for their their families. So. Uh, one would hope that they're getting enough to eat, to feed their families, to stock up for the winter, to feed those that kept dogs, uh, to feed elders in the community, and to make sure there's plenty to share. Uh, there's a strong history of using Alaska's harvest to share to keep your community going, wherever you are in Alaska. Um, so, yeah, let's say 500 years ago, the only influence on the fisheries, hypothetically, and please correct me because I'm wrong about a lot of things, but yeah, I would say it would be limited to what we would consider now um, subsistence personal use. But even as I said, in, you know, fifty years ago, my my friends, my my, na- my my friend's neighbor said there used to be huge amounts of salmon on the Big Lake, on the Deshka, on the Chilitna. Yeah, way, like way way more than there is today. Yeah. So these so so and again, I'm not going to disparage, but Cook Inlet's unique, right? Because because most of the people in Alaska live 
in Anchorage or yeah. Kenai or Homer or Soldat. They live in the, what, probably 60, 70% of the population lives in Cook Inlet. Yeah, so I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to disagree with what your friends saw because that's true. There were, there was a huge amount of abundance 40, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. There was far more abundance in the rivers than we see today, but it's not just the impact of commercial fisheries in Cook Inlet alone. Um, because so wait, those, wait, wait, those but, commercial but they're, fisheries, they're... those commercial fisheries have been active. Talk to the guys in Kenai. There's folks that have been fishing commercially for a hundred years out of Kenai. So it's not, just their fault, but the but sheer number, the sheer number of drift nets and set nets that, so are, that are grabbing these salmon. So that's part of it. That it's that's part of it, and I'm not going to say it's a small part of it. That's that is that is a part of it. What's so, the other? What's the other part? So part of it is we've we've and we've already begun dealing with this. Has been habitat issues, right? So up in the Matsu, there was a lot of uh, perched culverts and uh, upstream habitat that was disconnected from the waterways. But a lot of that's already been, that actually has been solved. Like the Matsu has poured millions of dollars through their Matsu Fish and Wildlife Commission to getting those waterways connected again. So, right? so, so let's say on the, assuming <coughs> yeah. that, all, that all got fixed, let's just yeah. assume for a second, theoretically, that the commercial fishery got closed in Cook Inlet for, for two years. Okay. No drift nets, no set nets. Okay. What do you think would happen? We'd have huge returns of reds coming back. Uh, we'd have a ton of pinks coming in too. Um, and we would probably pass more kings into the river. So I was also told by a guy, the yeah. same guy, that, that these these 50-pound or 100-pound kings, yeah, right? Those dinosaurs. Uh, these yeah. big fucking kings, right? A, a, a yeah. lawyer or a doctor or a dentist or a business guy from lower 48 or Australia or South America or Europe. Oh, yeah. He'll fly to Alaska, right? Yep. Or she will fly to Alaska. She, they'll, they will Thank spend... You. They will spend a lot of money on getting here on yeah. hotels, air, air, you know, oh yeah, airfare. They will, um, dude. The Kenai hire, River, hire, hire a, the Kenai River King is one of the iconic species right, right, yeah. for Alaska. So they you they think want of that, Alaska. They what, want that picture. What's on the quarter for Alaska, right? So, so big the, old grizzly bear, big old fat. The, they'll spend fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars flying up here. Yeah, getting in a hotel. Yep. hiring a you know a, a hiring a, a guide, a guide. Yep, right. And they catch that salmon. Yep. And they get the picture. Yep. They throw it back, right? Um, more often than not, yes. Now these yeah, these set, these set nets, yeah. they get the same salmon. Yep. They fucking throw it in the tank, right? Yeah, and so the, well, the what are they selling it for? I mean, how much is that thing? That thing's worth to a yeah. doctor, lawyer, business person, somebody with money, ten, fifteen grand, right? Yeah. What do no? If it's a hundred pounds or fifty pounds of a, yeah. you know, Kenai King, what does that go for in the market? I mean. Couple hundred bucks. So you're you're. Um, Am I wrong in my assessment? Is what I'm is what I'm asking. Not entirely. No. And and so what you're getting at is this constitutional obligation Va- the state value, has value to maximize the value of the resource to all Alaskans, and um, it's hard to argue against the fact that pound for pound, fish that are harvested in the sport fishery bring in a hell of a lot more money than pound for pound the fish that are coming in through the commercial And, and the other question is the people who are living in Anchorage and but know, there's Wasilla. Different, but there's and, different economic models, so it's hard to say precisely A to precisely B, but, but, but I'm giving, I'm giving sketch, yeah. I'm giving another example of folks yeah. living in Anchorage who obviously they go down as far as they can south to, oh, yeah. to, get, to get the fucking fish because before, you know, for, for the escapement. Yep. People living in the valley, Anchorage, further north, yeah. they lose... From a low escapement. 
Yeah. Because they, they have to, they, if, they, if there was bigger escapement, they wouldn't have to go as far south to be able to fish. Yeah. Whether, you know, whether it's, and, you know. And, you so, know. and so you're listening, because you're throwing around a technical term, escapement, and not all of your listeners might know what that means. So how, how so, many of the fish can, can get up the, the yeah, uh, inlet? Escapement refers to how many fish make it back up to the spawning beds. How many escape the commercial nets and are able to escape the sport fishing nets and any personal use nets or sport fishing lines, hooks and lines, um, and how many are able to make it back up. And that's how Alaska manages most of our salmon fisheries is based on we have numbers, we have goals that we're shooting for of fish back in the river to spawn, right? So that's, that's, that's the most important escape. thing, right? Yeah, because you want, you want that sustainability. Now there's some, there's some really... There's some fine delineations in there on do you want to escape towards the top end of the range or the bottom end of the range? Do you want to diversify throughout the range? Is it okay to escape too many fish back into the system? Um, is it what happens if you have too few that come back in? So you get into these things and and do you manage for abundance into the system? Like I'm I'm a proponent of um, of maximum productivity out of a system, which is to say I want the maximum number of fish up the river. They're going to create the maximum number of fish that system can maintain and get out and go back and forth. There are others. That I mean, are obviously, obviously, of, obviously the, so the flip side of that is what's called maximum sustained yield, which is how many fish can we take and what's the bare minimum of fish back into the system that will keep it sustainable. Well, obviously, before before all this like you know commercial fishery, yeah. there was there was like Native Alaskans living here. Before that, there was nobody, right? Well, you're gonna have to go way back in time for that, but yeah. I guess there was probably glaciers. I don't. I don't know when the salmon started going up, but at some point, I mean, we have impacted you know th- this fishery obviously a, a yeah. lot by you know by, by commercial fisheries and yeah, you know more, more subsistence even for people living living here. But up until that point, I mean, the fish figured they figured it out, right? I mean, the yeah. nature figured out how many go up, how many mm-hmm. lay eggs, how many you know how many. Yeah, and go so back. and and I feel like I'm defending the commercial guys almost too much here. Um, the I reason know, I feel like the, that too. I know the reason for the maximum sustained yield philosophy is to, because the commercial fishery and I'm not a participant, I don't buy my fish. I don't participate in the commercial fishery in any way. Um, but my understanding is that sustained yield is a business measure. You want to be able to plan for stability in that biological system and their argument. And I don't entirely agree with it, but their argument is that if you just let the system run willy-nilly, you're going to have huge crashes and huge surges, and you're just going to be all over the map, up and down, all over the place. And they're looking to manage it at a steady rate. Um, I don't subscribe to that style, but that's my impression of how they want to manage the fishery. Now, so, some people, have, I've heard many proposals, but some people have talked about, let's shut down Cook Inlet to commercial, leave it for... Oh, I've heard people take it a step further. I've heard people say shut the whole thing down to everyone. Really? Yeah. I've yeah. I've heard I had so, a guy tell me that ten days ago. Just shut it down to everybody. Yeah. I mean, how many drift nets and set nets are there out there? I mean, there, there's Oh, there's about there's north of about seven hundred or so. Fuck. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yep. It's a lot of a lot of fish getting caught up yeah. in the nets. Yeah. And and so that's like if if I were to if I were to run through handy dandy talking points, if I happen to have some, um, that would be one of them. Like is to say that a by restricting by restricting sport fisheries, by restricting charter fisheries, um, the state's not meeting its obligation to maximize 
to maximize value. I mean, I mean, some people yeah, have even I've even the, heard about one a, of the a, other, a special yeah d- designating Cook Inlet as a special fishery zone. Yeah, right. Well, for, uh, for because because most people in Alaska live in Cook Inlet. Yeah. So let 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 Cook Inlet be you know for yeah the people who want to eat and who want to harvest and subsistence. Yep. And maybe sport, and then there's all these other areas of the state where there's very few people living. Well, and, and let, let the commercial folks have those areas. That and, seems to me pretty pretty logical. And when the commercial fisheries are prioritized, sport, guided sport, subsistence, personal use, uh, fisheries suffer when commercial is the priority. That's it's just the way it is. Now, this is the 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 basis of all of the mm-hmm. what they call fish wars, right? The board of fish. I mean, this is all so so the basis about this stuff, right? <laughs> so when I when I went to work in Parnell's office, I sat down with. I didn't know anything about the commercial fishery and still probably have a lot to learn about it. But I sat down with a bunch of board members from UFA, which is the big organizing group for uh, the commercial guys. I sat down for coffee with one guy. And just as the coffee sits down, I'm like, so, fellow, what do I need to know about fisheries? Pretend I don't know anything. And he goes, well, what you need to know is... He probably did this with his hand money. Now he goes, what you need to know is... Every decision Parnell has ever made about fisheries has been bad, and this most recent one is the worst. I was like, the most recent one? What are you talking about? Can you say and who this person was or no? Eddie looks at me and he goes, you. You're the worst decision he's made Can you yet. say who this person was you were talking to or no? I, I'd rather not. Okay, that's fine. No, I mean, I've, yeah. I, res- I, respect, I respect that. <laughs> so I was like, wow, we're like 30 seconds into a one-hour meeting. You already said I'm the worst decision the governor's made on fisheries. Wait, so but but, but be, because you, because, because you, because you weren't a commercial guy. Yeah. Um, but some of the other folks were actually really, really good about trying to inform me about how, how everything worked. And I would agree with one of them who says that the, the, um, one of the central issues with fish politics is it's unlimited demand for a finite resource. Mm -hmm. Right. The other part of it is, uh, that this is a resource that we owe, that we own in common. That belongs to all of us. That, but but, but those the commercial fish, folks, they, they have the whole goddamn state. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't. Most people just, do not live. Most people do not live. But just because you own a permit in Cook Inlet doesn't mean you own a permit in Bristol Bay or in Southeast. Well, I mean that's right? why I think if they did anything, they, but, they should probably compensate those folks. They shouldn't just take them away willy nilly. So, so Machikis had a bill out there um, for the past couple of cycles, uh, which would. Uh, allow for a buyout program for the set net. I ass- no, I don't know this. I assume Machiki is more of a personal sport guy because most Machiki's a the, the, the vast number of people vote. You know, they want to get the fish, right? Uh, the commercial people have very few voters. Senator Machiki is a drift netter. He owns a drift net permit. Oh, oh yeah, he, he's a commercial fisherman, right? Ooh, um, but the yeah. people who are voting, most of those folks aren't commercial fishermen. Uh, when was the last time the Kenai Peninsula had a? A solid sport fish boat. Well, in 2018, he almost lost to that Gillum guy. I'm not sure if it was about fishing or not. I don't, I don't, know, um, why, I don't know why, but so, like it was a hundred votes or something. So um, Senator Michiki strikes a, a balance between the user groups. He catches a lot of hell about it, but he he sport fishes as much. I mean, he as much as anybody else does. Every every uh, commercial guy I know will tell you they also sport fish. So Chuck Cobb, he has a. Uh, that, that, Bristol no, Bay. Permit. That's Bristol Bay. So different, different yeah. fishery. Different fishery altogether. Much, much less people. So there, there is a movement amongst some of the younger fishermen in Cook Inlet who have recognized that there's too many nets fishing Cook Inlet, and if they were able to buy out and retire 
a number of those sites, the sites that remain are going to make more money and are going to be more sustainable in the long term. Because so right how much now, are these problem, how much are these permits? Because right there's, now, there's and so, I, nets, right? so I said there's like 700. That's there's about 700 set nets. There's another 600 or so drift nets. So there's about 1,300 commercial. So what, what, what are these babies worth? Oh, guide, I'd have to. Are I'd they transferable? Can you you can sell oh, yeah. them? Right? Yeah, you can oh. sell them. You can buy them, sell them. Uh, I want to say anywhere, be, anywhere between ten and thirty thousand dollars for a permit. Wow, yeah, something like that. We could look it up right now. Frankly, I don't track the prices of the, of the set net permits. That's why I'm JV Joe Rogan. If we had like a, a guy like a Jamie, Jamie, if look we had, it up. we don't have that. We don't, I don't. go to the is, go to the Homer. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, a JV yeah style. We don't we don't have a support team here with you. Uh, I'm trying to pay attention to you, otherwise I'd be looking at my phone to find it. But um, I think for the commercial fleet that wants to continue to operate in Cook Inlet, uh, a, a number of them have begun to recognize that there need to be fewer of them. So, but in general, if the commercial people listen to this and, and they say, Jeff Landfill says, shut down the fucking cook inlet to commercial fisheries and let it be for subsistence and sport. Yep. They ain't going to like that. Are they? No, no, they're not. <laughs> and I, and you've noticed a lot of money, a lot of money is at stake. Isn't and, it? And you've noticed that I've been careful not to say that. You have not said um, that. Yeah. You have, you have, you're, <laughs> you're, when I'm speaking folks right now, yeah. when I say certain things, Ben's face gets a little bit well concerned. So, because here's the thing is, um, for a long time, the fish wars have been, they've boiled down into people and user groups against each other. And my goal isn't to put anybody specifically out of business. My goal is big, fat, full fisheries for everybody. But K- KSRA is for sp- big, sport, fat, sport full fisher. fisheries for everybody. Okay. But yeah, for sport fisheries and for personal use fishermen, that is those, that's our user group. And that's who we're going to bat for. So, right? so what, what, what do you, I mean, where do you see this issue going in the next? Because, I mean, we've had, in the last yeah. 10 years, five years, we've had some years where there's no fish, other years yeah. where there's, it seems like abundance of abundance so and fish. So and, what's going on? And it's really complicated, right? Because you've got, not only do you have, like, an early run and a late run of kings, and an early run and a late run and then stragglers for sockeye, and then you've got silvers that come in on the late end, but we don't count them, and then every other year you've got pinks. Then you, you take all those different ones and you stack them on top of each other. Sorry. You stack them on top of each other. So you're managing for multiple species, multiple runs. Uh, kings and silvers are managed for the, I'll call it the recreational fishery, even though it's there's nothing recreational about it. It's Alaskans that are eating off of this. It's um, like a dip, dip net. Right. So uh, the sockeye go are the target for the dip net fishery. Um, but also sockeye are a commercial fish, as are pinks. So you've got different management priorities, different species, different run timings, all happening at the same time on top of each other. It's, it's, you know, it's tough. It's tough work for the biologists to do. So what we've done and what, I, what, I, I what don't, KRSA I don't, has been, been really active in just doing. Real quick say, I don't, okay. I don't feel as, as a regular citizen who's yeah. not a fisheries expert or anything. Yeah. I don't feel like I, no one, like, I don't feel like there's a lot of communication. Yeah. You know, from the government, or from the board of fish, or from the yeah. commercial people, or whoever it is, on what the hell's going on. Yeah, I just know that my friends go fishing, and they're like, "Shit, it sucks. There's not right? a lot of fish, dude." And this year, yeah, and and sometimes that happens, right? Because this year we didn't have a whole lot of kings come back, which sucked because we just got some amazing conservation measures passed at the last board of fish meeting to get more kings into the river during that second run, right? We got. Um, 
we've been making slow incremental changes and I think we we got some really big wins for fisheries conservation. Also read that as getting more fish in the river uh, this year. So we, we did some some pretty some pretty big things that I'm pretty excited about increasing our targets, increasing our goals. When I talked about what's that escapement number that we need to shoot for on sockeye, we got them to bump the escapement number up. So the escapement number is higher now. Um, So instead of continuing to lower our goals for how many fish get back in the river, we're actually starting to turn that around on some of the rivers and saying, dude, lowering the goals is just resulting in fewer fish. (coughs) So, so maybe so, if we have higher goals and put more fish in the river, we'll get more fish back in the future. That's the that's the hope. So it's, it sounds like it's going to be an ongoing battle until, dude, it's, it gets figured out. It gets figured out, or maybe yeah, if they if they cancel the commercial fishery and they cook it. <laughs> so, um, which I'm not saying. I mean, they shouldn't do that without. I mean, just like the taxi permits in Anchorage, you yeah. you, you end something that the government created. You have to compensate people, and right. they, with taxi permits, they didn't do that. Dude, I have, I have no problem with compensated reallocation. That's, that's, I, I, no I wonder if that. these 1300, how many of them would be like, look, happy to go away. So here's the deal. You know, happy to just get out of it. So right now they're just talking about the set net permits, but that SB 90 bill, um, when I looked I was at in Juno, that didn't pass. No, I know I didn't. I got a lot. I remember people were fucking talking about that thing. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the first time it had been introduced. Um, poor Peter, he's got the fish thing. He's got the goddamn. Alcohol thing that didn't remember that. I know, right? So close, so close. Rough year. Uh, so as much as there's been a lot of animosity between neighbors, um, I think a lot of folks are ready to find some real, like, let's find some solutions. The fact is we have half a million people here in South Central Alaska, and we've got 300,000 Alaska resident sport fish license holders in this area, right, that come down and most of them fish on the Now, now you're getting activated. Your, right? your hands are moving. I love that. <laughs> I've got you. I've got you at the well. We've got side of point. We've got these three hundred thousand people that love to fish, and most of them are coming down to the Kenai because that's the most accessible fishery in the state. And if they can't and be, make and it because down the, the fish Kenai, aren't going up this way anymore because they're getting they're all getting caught, right? Well, but we but we did some things for that this year. We strengthened the conservation corridor. We pushed the drift by the board. Of, I say we we put forward a proposal. The board of fisheries passed it with some small changes, uh, but it strengthened the conservation corridor. Uh, to push the drift netters out and away from those fish that are going with the whole goal of pushing more fish up into the Matsu. And that's, you know, I think we saw that. The Deshka actually hit their goals this year, which hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, and we saw more fish going up into the Matsu. Let those Valley. fucking fish go up, go right? up, baby. Right. Send them up north. So that's what strengthening the conservation corridor was about, was we need those fish getting back. So what, so what does it mean? That there, there's a bigger space where the nets aren't Yeah, we're not allowed to, to fish. Yeah, where the drifters so are. So how far do the drift nets, how far can they go out? Um, it depends on which area you're talking about. There's there's a handful of different fishing areas, and they're allowed to fish in different units by order of, of Department of Fishing Game. So, um, But generally, we've got them tucked in on the Kenai Peninsula. Side what what about the set nets? Set nets operate from a specific location on a beach. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the drifters are able to move around, and they just they drift these long nets out in the out in the high seas, um, and the set netters have a essentially a stake in the ground. It just seems pretty unfair. I mean, there. the fish yeah. don't really have a shot, do they? So in a net. That, so that's that's one of my problems with um, with the nets the way they're currently configured is they're not discriminatory. Like they can, yeah, you might be tar- targeting sockeye, 
your goal is sockeye. That's but fine. But you might get something but else. But you're also catching kings, or you're also catching silvers. You're not able to and discriminate. Once, once the fish is in the net, dead. More often than not, yeah. There's a couple of guys that main, that s- sit on their nets the whole time, and if you can tell when a king hits, and they'll roll the king out, and they have decent survivability there. But for a lot of those guys, you know, or for, for a significant number of those set nets, when a king hits, it, it might as well be dead. Sometimes they get pinned in by, by the tides, so that king will get pinned up against the net and then wash out. And so you'll never, you won't even so be I mean, able to it's like a bike. It's it. like a bycatch. It's a bycatch issue, right? Which is, which is a bummer, but if you had fewer nets out there, if that's something they're interested in doing, that would go a long way to do it. We also, um, the Board of Fish this year, uh, one of the things they did was shorten the nets. So they used to be 45 meshes deep, and now they're 29 meshes deep. So they took off the bottom the bottom portion. Give those fishy a little opportunity to go under. Huh? Well, I, with the idea being that the kings tend to swim a little bit deeper, and the sockeye tend to swim a little bit shallower. And if we had had a decent king return this year, we could have seen if it actually worked, but the fish just didn't flat come back this year. Well, Ben Moore, this has been a fascinating conversation, fascinating podcast. The scotch has been amazing. Of, I think for the <laughs> listeners, I probably sound, I, ho- I hope I don't sound too, I'm not drunk, but I, I do feel good. Well, we had to loosen you up a little bit there, man. You were looking I, tense for a second. Well, you got, I was not, I was you not got, you got thrown off your game when I when I launched in with. Uh, no, when you came in with, with, with your, didn't meet your father. You <laughs> fucked me up there, man. That was, your face looked like so serious. I said, you know, that was a guy, joke. I yeah. know that was a joke now, but yeah. At the time, I you know, and then I go in my Bert Kreischer moment. We go into the nine eleven thing. I mean, damn, this has been a big. It's been a big just podcast. A, just a roller coaster of emotions. I, I think actually we're, we're at. I'm looking at here one twenty, hour twenty. Am I your longest podcast? I, I'm not sure. It, it's probably if if not, it's very close. It probably is a long. I usually keep it to about thirty minutes to an hour. But I this has been keep, so fun, and I can keep going, man. But I'll tell you what, nobody's listening by now. No, they're still listening probably. But I have to pee really bad, yeah. and um. It is getting a bit late. Okay. But we, I mean, you just start your own podcast, Ben. You're, 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 you're you just started the man. Kenai River Sport Fishing Podcast or the, or the Ben Moore Brother, nobody wants on the Peninsula Podcast. Nobody wants to listen to me. You should, actually, I would love to. I'm going to ask you right now would Bob Penny ever do a podcast with me? So I don't know. Because that would be legendary. So Bob is a legend. Bob's amazing. Um, he, uh, you, you mentioned another organization he started a number of years ago, Resource Development Council. Bob was yeah. one of the founding members of that, one of the founding members of Kenai River Sport Fishing Association. I will say that I have a board. There's 21 seats on my board. Um, Bob has been one of them for a very long time. Um, you should talk to Bob about getting land, the Landfield Podcast. So I don't know much. About, I mean, I met him a few times, talked to him here and there, not yeah. very long. I do know that when I, I ran Mel Gillis's campaign recently, which uh-huh. we were – Shooting for seventy, we were shooting for thirty-eight, seven, thirty-eight hundred votes. Yeah, to win, Mel got forty-two hundred. Yeah, still lost. I know, incredibly high turnout. But yep, one of the ideas I had at the end of it, and I was kind of shot down by some folks, but I was actually waiting for the ch- company to get back to us. I wanted to drop several thousand dollars in one-dollar bills and a couple fives, twenties, and fifties, and a couple hundreds. Wow, with me- vote for Mel Gillis over. I don't think you're legally allowed to do that. Are you? I don't. No, I think. We ran it by because it, because if you could do that, Al Gross would have would have saved a hell of a lot right, more money, true. but just so by cutting a we, check we, for hundred and fifty bucks about, to everybody. We thought about dropping a couple thousand dollars in cash over twenty five on election day with a vote for Mel Gillis stamps on each dollar bill or each bill, um, <laughs> and for 
a variety of reasons. People kind of didn't like the ch- company. The chopper company never got back to. They were actually were open to it. They never got back to me. Huh. But then somebody told me Bob Penny used to drop cash out of choppers. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. When baller move. Somebody was like, talk to Bob Penny. He dropped cash out of helicopters. Yeah. When was that? So I don't know exactly when that was, but um, Penco, Penland Parkway, that area, that's, I believe that's some of Bob's developments. Is, yeah, yeah. On. Um, he also operated pretty close to where we're at right now in Spinard. He had um, trailers and mobile homes and things like that that he sold for a long time. Um, I don't know all of Bob's history on that, but I do remember hearing a story about him dropping dollar bills out of helicopters as, as a PR thing. Yeah. Fucking legend. He is a legend. He's 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 great. Not everybody agrees with him all we, the time. We, but we I, have to get the Bob I Penny. I really like Bob. We Penny. have to get the Bob Penny podcast. I should ask Clark. Will he talk to you? I, I actually, <laughs> I weirdly saw him one time at the Atwood building in an elevator. Yeah. I didn't even know it was him. I like Clark. I actually just saw him the other day in passing. Um, dude is smart. Like as much crap as people give him, he's smart. He's the grandson, right? Uh, yeah, he's smart. He works his ass off. You meet him and he, it, he, yeah, I, I firmly believe that what Clark, like what he's building as far as his, his business and stuff, Clark would build that regardless. Maybe I he's, should a, get, he's a, he's a maybe, sharp. Dude. Maybe I should get the Clark Penny podcast and the Bob Penny. What, what about uh, uh, Henry Penny? Maybe I do one, two, three. So, um, I, th- I, I always I see him, he wears very nice tuxedos. So I don't know how likely that is. And I'll... I'll how about a one, two, three? I'll, I'll one, two, three say punch. Bob's one of my board members, but I have many of them. And I can't, you know, I can't tell him what to do. I'm going to follow up with you on this <laughs> Bob Penny podcast. Penny, We're going to call it Pennycast. This will be, be interesting to see if... Well, I'm gonna, Put in the request, Ben. I'll, I'll certainly let him know that you've made the request. How about that? I can go that far. I love I that. I don't know. I love that. I don't know if he can do anything with it, but I'll let him know you made the request. I love that, Ben. More great podcast. It, it went to a lot of places. I didn't think it would go. I'll be honest. I I didn't think so either. We missed out on a lot of stuff. Um, we'll do. We'll do. We'll do another one. But there's more to come. Plus, you got to come down. Come down to my neck of the woods. We should do a podcast in the sauna, like in the banya. That might be. That might be interesting. Do you, do you ever get naked? Then jump, I will be wearing clothes. So in Russia, when I've been in the banya in Russia, very commonly, if it's if it's uh, summer, you jump in the, you, if there's a water source nearby, you jump, so, you, you so jump in the river. I do have a lake, the about, lake. I have a lake about 120 yards away. Or in the winter, you just jump in the snow. So plenty of snow. Russians but I, love that shit. But I also have a wood-fired hot tub nearby. Oh, my holy God. Which so, takes about so, a day to get, get up to heat, but. So I, but if you're I, a hot I, tub kind of person, I got I, I got, sit there in the dark and it's a hundred. I have wood fired hot tub stories, but I was in Russia, yeah. um, near Siberia once, and I was in a a, a, a banya, <laughs> and the the Russians I was with were these fucking crazy Russians, and yeah, you know they got out and they like jumped in the snow, and they told me to do it, and I was like, no way, and yeah. they were like, don't like they basically were like, you got to do it, yeah. So I did it, and man, it was fucking cold, yeah. But then you get back. Actually, the Russians believe it's like the hot to cold is good for the good for the your, circulation, your, 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 your circulation, heart. your body. Yeah. They they believe there's a lot of health. Probably they're probably right. Might be feels great. Yeah. Once you get back in that barnyard, you, you feel great. I so do I you do, ever, do, you, do you do do the vending key the leaves the the you, you're naked and they slam you with in Russia they slam you with the leaves 
So um, I don't, don't, I mean. Are you familiar with this? It's no. called Venyanki in Russian. It's, it's like palm. No, no. Palm tree. And they, they basically, a palm. It's a, what, so as much as I'm. They, sli- they put time together and they beat you with them. And yeah. it's supposed to like hit the skin and open up the cir- circulation of the, of the, of the pores. No, see, see, pretty much what I do is I just, I'll, I'll get it up to temperature. I'll have a jug of water and maybe a glass of whiskey and I'll play some TV okay, down you, in the you, corner. You, you bring, just, you bring me in. I'm going to give you the full experience. I'm not sure I want the full experience. I have, actually have a video I'll show you after the podcast of me in Moscow last um, New <laughs> Year's. Sure and I, I'm in a, pretty sure I don't want the whole experience. No, you want a full experience. Pretty sure I don't want the whole experience. I'm good just going in there and In, in Russia, the banya, it's very, it's, it's, very, it's very cultural. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you don't go. It's a very it's so a I, set process. You do this. I mean, it's not a, it's fun, in, right? But it's, 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 it's like there's things in place. Tell you what, you know what? Culturally, I, that you do, and it's not a joke. I mean, they take it very serious. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll humor that because I do know in many cultures it's very important to do it, kind of as a ritual. Uh, there's a place. I'll for bring it. my friend Sergey with me. We, you want, you want to get loose? I bring Sergey. That'll be trust me. That's full experience. Not sure. I'm not sure my wife and son will want that to happen. No, he's fine. He's cool. You'll, you'll like him. Don't worry. <laughs> or I'll bring Anton, or I'll bring a few other choice characters who are. <laughs> We'll go out to the lake and shoot stuff, and no, eh, yeah, doing the full experience. That's all right. No, there's a bunch of actually the the, the, the most hardcore Russians that I've been with in Banya, they won't even drink. Yeah, I mean it's it's a serious like, it's a serious deal. So no drinking. As it's, I said, in, afterwards you drink. In many cultures, there's a ritual to it. For me, I'm getting the I'm getting the fire as hot as I can. I'm sitting in there as long as I can, sweating, drinking water. Watching a little TV, relaxing. What kind of TV? I, I mean, it's gonna like it's gonna burn out. It's gonna fry out. So uh, I put my I put my phone down in the bottom corner next to the door where there's a little bit of a draft. You gotta get rid of that fucking phone, man. We gotta do full experience off grid. So that, I mean, it's possible, but that has not been my ritual to date. Okay, we're, but I'm willing to try. It. When I come in, we're gonna in the same way. If there's somebody that wants to do Finnish or Makai or something like those that, fi- those Finns too done. are fucking crazy with that stuff, right? They go like 140 degree. They go crazy. Are you afraid of a little heat? I was in a banya once in Ukraine, and it was a public one, so it was it was more of like a it was more of a sauna, but it was banya, and it was these guys. I was it was 2010. I was dating this Ukrainian that I met here. She went back. I went to I went I went to visit. I went to this kind of public. You know, it was like you walk in. There's a women's section, men. You know, each side and. These guys, like, kind of, you know, American guys here. We're in this small town in, in Ukraine, and they took me in, and they wanted to do the whole thing with the leaves, and, you know, and, yeah. I, man, I swear to God, it was so fucking hot. When I breathed, when I inhaled in my nose, my, it was, like, hot in my brain. <laughs> yeah. And I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to pass out, and I, they would not let me get up. Yeah. And I started to feel faint, and I started to, I think I might have even almost passed. Like, next thing I knew, I was, like, out. I was out, but, like, it was, yeah. it was fucking the steam, the heat, the fire. It was so hot. <laughs> And there was dudes who were just like chilling in there, like no big deal. Yeah, and I was like, I was laying down flat, naked. I was getting beat with the Leafs. Yeah, the Vanyan, you know, and I was like trying. I was inhaling air that was, you know, like 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 searing the inside of my oh, my brain. Before. Yeah, it's fun, right? Yeah, it feels good, but you want to get out on your own terms. You don't want to be controlled <laughs> by the guys that are giving. And then you go to other parts of like Banyas or saunas in Russia. They have the um the guy who like his job is to kind of like you know like scrubs you down he has these little things in his hands he scrubs you and yeah. your body your skin and the leaves and the i mean it, it, it's um 
it's called in Russian. Oh, what's the word for that? There's a name for that person. Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name. But it's a person right. who, who basically that's his job to go in there and kind of like scrub yeah. you down, wash you down, smack you with the. It's, See, that's it's, not it's a, that's not my speed. That's not my style. Very, it's very it's very fun. It's very culture. It's it's very enjoyable actually. Well, we've been trying to end this podcast for a while, Jeff. I want to thank you for coming on today. This thank has you. been a lot of fun. And I uh, was trying to end it too. You you just keep <laughs> saying it's funny. I think. I'm gonna check. I think you might be one thir- one hour thirty one. That might be the longest landmine podcast, landmine radio I'm really podcast. Sorry ever. to everybody out there. The the resource cabal will be tuning in. No. <laughs> last last plug in for landmine book club. Have you heard about that? Uh, so what are you guys reading? Uh, educated Tara Westover. Me and Katie Capozzi are yeah kind of running that thing. So I'd love you love to have you on board. Okay. Yeah. Landmine book club December fifteenth, our first meeting. Yeah, send me the, Zoom. send me the details, man. I'll send you the. I'll see if I can eats. get it. Yeah. All right, Ben Moore, thanks for coming in. Executive Director of the Kenai River Sport Fishery Association. Sport Fishing Association. Sport Fishing. KRSA. Even though the name says Kenai River, we're actually active in sport fisheries all across You're the also state. doing a current um, raffle, which you have an ad in the landmine for. So, Dude, yeah. We're, we're plug that real quick. Go ahead. We've got the dopest raffle you've ever seen. Top prizes, four chartered fishing trips, four two with lodging included, plus new Sims gear, plus a $500 gift card to Cabela's. That's about $6,000 worth of prizes. Holy shit, I'm buying one of these tickets. I haven't even... Yeah, for a $50 ticket. Second prize is two tickets anywhere Alaska Airlines flies. Third prize is a Howa 243 rifle. Fourth prize is a 50-inch TV and sound system. Has your your landmine ad, has that had any, bared any fruit? I need to check the analytics, but I think I've seen some traffic coming from it. So I really appreciate you selling us the space. And I know- Appreciate the ad. We we planned on this podcast far before the advertisement was was up. I've been asking to do a podcast since like 2019. Probably. Well, we'll have to do it again. Now you live in Kenai, so now you're here. But well, it gives you a good excuse to do I'm it. Coming, I'm coming. Hey, I'm coming. I'm bringing the Russians. We're coming to. I'm the, no Dy. I'm no Damien Bilbao, but we're, I'm we're, pleased to well, have been da- here today. Damien was a good one. We're coming. I'm coming with the Russians to the to the Banya. Dude, that'll be fun. All right, it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> get loose. New podcast after that. Jesus. All right, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline Radio.